So good morning. I'm here with Morgan Polikoff, Associate Professor of Education, I believe, at the University of Southern California. Good morning. Um, great to have you here on a CPRI Knowledge Hub uh, Research Minute. Morgan was the editor of a AERA open journal issue, special issue, on the, on the Common Core and um, what do we know from research about the progress of the Common Core and its impacts. And the Common Core was initially adopted in 2010. The special issue came out in January 2017. But um, Morgan, before we kick off about learning about what the authors and yourself found in the special issue, you know, the, the environment has changed quite a bit and the, um, you know, the, the Common Core has stepped a bit out of the spotlight and um, things are really focused on, uh, on the Every Student Succeeds Act now and the devolution of authority down to the states. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the relevancy of the Common Core in this current environment? Common Core is, you know, has been around since 2010, as you said, but it remains a very important uh, intervention to study for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, basic, in terms of just basic impact or, or sort of how widespread it is, Common Core or very Common Core-like standards are still the standards of record in more than 40 states serving the vast majority of America's students. So at that basic level, it still um, uh, you know, has the potential for a wide uh, impact, especially when you think about how uh, authority has been devolved, as you said, from the states, uh, from the federal government to states and, and localities. Um, so it's certainly widespread. Second of all, you know, the timeline that you laid out is that it was adopted in 2010, but I can tell you that uh, in terms of actual implementation, some places are really just getting around to implementing it in the last couple of years. You know, when Common Core has been in the spotlight, it's often been a lightning rod for uh, political controversy. I mean, as your own research has found. Um, and so I, I think in many ways, it's kind of better if we sort of let standards be the backbone of the system, which is what they're intended to be, but, uh, but not have them be the actual focus of policy attention as they were for sort of that period from, say, 2010 to 2013-14. Uh, it's kind of nice to just have time to implement the standards. So um, what a, can you just paint a picture of how we got to the Common Core and about pre previous efforts to, um, to use standards as a lever for changing the education system? Absolutely. So, um, and, I'm, and I, I should start by saying I'm not a historian, but uh, my understanding is that, um, that the standards-based reform movement really emerged out of uh, the ideas called systemic reform, which were sort of late 80s, early 90s ideas that argued that standards were really a fundamental uh, component of uh, education policy that should, as I said, be, be sort of the backbone of educational improvement, coupled with um, assessments to measure, measure student progress and, and other supporting state policies. Some states implemented uh, sort of systemic or standards-based policies throughout the 80s and 90s, and the federal government became increasingly involved uh, until No Child Left Behind in 2001, when the Fed said, Every state must adopt content standards and assessments in these subjects and grades, um, must create accountability systems, et cetera. 
And No Child Left Behind, um, the standards in No Child Left Behind were, were left up to the states. And the result of that was that there were a number of studies that found both in terms of the content itself and also in terms of the level of rigor and, and also in terms of the quality that standards really differed dramatically across states, um, where some states uh, had standards that were seen as very high quality and coherent and well-structured from grade to grade and aligned with what we know about how students learn. Other states really didn't have that, um, where some states had really high levels of expectations, other states didn't. And so, so my understanding of the Common Core movement is that it really emerged from that dissatisfaction with no child left behind era standards and assessments. And the vision of national standards is not a new one. Um, in fact, we've had attempts at national standards in the past. Uh, President Clinton um, made attempts at, at certain national standards, which failed. Um, and so Common Core was actually, I think, in some ways sort of well-crafted to get around the concerns about federal power. It was, it was created by uh, states with support from philanthropy um, and, uh, and implemented at the state level with incentives from the Obama administration through Race to the Top. But it was specifically crafted to address some of the concerns about prior standards. Um, so the, the special issue that you were the editor of um, focused on um, on what we know about the impact of the of the Common Core and what we know about implementation, and you know perhaps uh, you the special issue was in the beginning of 2017, which meant um, that at least officially there were five years between um, between most states' adoptions in 2010 and 2017. Although you've pointed out that um, many states are really just starting. But what did you learn um, from the contributors who looked at the impact of the Common Core in the first five years? Uh, well, the short answer to that question is I didn't learn very much uh, because we didn't have submitters who really wrote about impact. Um, and I think that there are a couple of reasons for this. The main one is it's, it's actually a very difficult question to study um, what the impact of Common Core is, if we're talking about it in sort of a causal sense. And I don't want to go into all the details of the methods, uh, the methodological reasons why it's difficult. If, if folks are interested, they should read the piece. But, you know, anytime you've got a reform that's implemented basically across uh, uh, the vast majority of the states, that's going to be a challenging thing to study the impact on. Um, in terms of the outcome measures, it's hard to come up with outcome measures that are going to be uh, appropriate for uh, like a 50-state study. And so the default will end up being the NAEP test. But there are lots of concerns about NAEP as an outcome measure, not the least of which is NAEP is not perfectly aligned to Common Core. And so it might not be a good gauge of uh, Common Core's impacts. So the, the long and the short of it is, in terms of impacts on student achievement, there's just not that much out there. And, and, and as I say in, the, in this intro, I'm not sure that there ever will be anything out there that is going to be that convincing. Many of the authors in, your, in, your, in the special issue that you edited uh, focused on implementation issues. So can you highlight a couple of the key um, lessons learned about impl implementing standards? Uh, the first piece by uh, Emily Hodge and, and colleagues, and they wrote about, um, about networks of um, uh, state uh, websites. Um, they used social networking analysis, and they looked at 
basically how resources were um, placed on websites, who linked to who, um, in terms of state linking. Um, and, uh, and, and this seems like maybe it's not that interesting a question to some people, but I think it's actually very interesting because it gets to the heart of one of the ideas of Common Core, which is, you know, that there could be real economies of scale in terms of um, sharing of resources and curriculum materials and knowledge across states when you have a national standards or a common standards um, policy. So that was one piece that I found particularly useful. And another piece that I found uh, particularly useful was actually a, a piece that you wrote. Um, so, so your piece looked uh, in, so Emily's piece looked at networks uh, between states. Your piece looked at networks inside schools um, in terms of how teachers uh, access knowledge about Common Core. And again, had some sort of promising and positive findings that more knowledgeable teachers were uh, the ones who were more likely to receive requests about uh, support for Common Core, and they were also more likely to go outside the school for additional knowledge, um, that coaches and other district and other school and district administrators were playing an important role in, in teachers' social networks. And so, so, so that sort of lends a more micro perspective to implementation and suggests that, um, that, that there are efforts in schools to um, to align instruction with standards, and that uh, and that it seems like some of the right people are being targeted. Um, yeah. One thing that I one thing that I want to point out um, is that um, the the American Educational Research Association um, journal that you produced um, the special issue in is called AERA Open and. ARA Open is a is 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 novel in terms of um, research journals in the sense that it's open access and there's a bit of an irony in the fact that clearly um, researchers want to have their work influence uh, policy and practice but yet most journals because of their economics um, are not accessible to the consumers yeah. that we'd like to influence and so. You know, I, I, I think that the, um, the, the open notion is an important one here. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I'm very excited that we were able to publish this in an open issue. It also just allows you, you know, in addition to the economics of the regular journals, there's also most regular journals are limited by page numbers in a way that AERA open is not. Um, so you can just publish more good research. And one of the things that you're seeing, you know, AERA has puts out these lists of the most downloaded and most cited articles each year. The AERA open articles do really, really well in those rankings, not surprisingly, because anyone can access them. Mm. Um, but I will say that just publishing in a peer-reviewed journal is not enough. I mean, even an open access one. Uh, policymakers don't read journal articles as a general statement. And so if, if you want your research to to um, be brought to bear on policy topics, you have to do more than just publish in peer-reviewed journals. And so that means things like blogging, it means things like creating shorter versions and briefs and infographics and things that can really be brought um, in front of a policymaker that they can digest. And so I hope that, you know, that's a, a big thing that I focus on. And I think that that all researchers really who want to influence policy need to pay attention to that. It does run counter to sort of prevailing norms and tenure expectations and things like that. But 
Um, I'm starting to get the sense that younger researchers are 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 open to um, doing more of that kind of work. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that because that's exactly the mission of the Super Knowledge Hub and the purpose behind um, this research minute. So Morgan Polakoff from the University of Southern California, thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us this morning. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Research Minutes. To share your thoughts on this discussion, head to khconversations at cprehub.org. To subscribe to our weekly podcast and to listen to more interviews, head to soundcloud.com slash Hub. And for the latest videos, podcasts, and discussion updates, follow us at CPRI Hub on Twitter and at CPRI Knowledge Hub on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you.